What a delight to be with you once again. I'd like to say at my age, it's a delight to be anywhere. (laughs) Since I'm going to start off talking about a very exciting subject, you know how we all get together, we have potato chips and drinks and so on, and let's all talk about death. (laughs) That doesn't happen in your circle? Okay. The title of the message, though, is Three Resurrections and a Savior. So I want you to know that uh, it's not about death. Uh, My goodness, it's been interesting to see how our society reflects on this unavoidable event in life called death. We live in a world filled with death, and I'm not trying to be critical, but I can't help but wonder about those that are called leaders, and <laughs> leaders, that's an interesting term, because I'm not following these people anywhere uh, that seem to be leaders. I learned something a long time ago as a pastor. If you think you're a leader, and nobody's following, you're just taking a walk. <laughs> and first is, you're not going to need a mask. Then the same guy says, no, you're going to need a mask. Maybe she wear two, three, four. I don't know about you, but I only have one head. I wonder about them. We have lost a lot of good friends. Lost to COVID. Sometimes I wonder, it's interesting, nobody died of the flu in the last year. I'm not trying to make light of the situation, only to illustrate something I recently said at a political gathering, none of us getting out of here alive. Because I want those who do not know the wonders of Jesus to think about the reality of life and death. An attorney informed me that when he was young, he had terrified of death, but now he's got it worked out, but I could hear under his voice, he didn't have it worked out. A little bit of the quiver really doesn't have it logically all figured out because he has not come to faith in Jesus Christ. There was a time when a nation was dying, much like ours seems to be. The priesthood was corrupt, become subservient to Rome. And Jesus looked out over the city heart heavy, filled with passion. Listen to his words. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing What a sad statement. I don't know how you, your family, your social circles face and handle this concept of death. You know, there was a time when it looked far away. And then sometimes as we grow older, you see it's getting closer and you realize how much closer it is. And then sometimes I've been here a long time, you say, I wished it had already happened. 
It is our Lord Jesus who has taken away the sting of the very worst. You see, death for humanity came as an intruder. It was not intended for us. It could have been all around in the animal kingdom and the flora and the fauna. But for humanity, we were designed to live forever. <laughs> You've noticed something went wrong? <laughs> I notice that every time I look in the mirror, this can't last forever. The first human, Adam, invited death by his actions, not because that's what he wanted. And the world's response has been just strange ever since his offspring. Paul reminded the church at Rome in the fifth chapter of his letter to them. He said that just as sin entered the world by one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. That always brings us to that question. Am I a sinner because I sin? Or do I sin because I'm a sinner? The answer, of course, is yes. Some of the reaction I've noticed in this world is procrastination. Whatever we do, since we don't really know, and I'm speaking about the world, the ins and outs of what it's like after death, we try to procrastinate it. Sometimes prolonging the pain until maybe the pain gets so intense that we are ready for anything but the pain. Some of you have been there, or you've had loved ones that have been there. Then there are those who accept death as a normal conclusion of a life fully lived. Not a bad attitude for living. It just isn't completely true. The truth in it, that's good. But it's incomplete. Then, of course, there are those who, for death, they just deny their fears and hope for the best. Excuse the expressions, but it's just like the uh, holy crapshoot of life. I want you to know that there came one who addressed the issue of death. His name was Jesus. This morning we're going to look at just a few of the times that he gave us evidence that he knew what he was talking about. Jesus came promising life. But he not just came promising life, he came promising life eternal. Now, I, I want us to understand that everlasting life, that life eternal, is not just a matter of duration, though that it is. It is a matter of quality. Because he further said it was to be life abundantly. And his salvation, his gift of eternal life, and the cost is so extravagant. Out of the riches of God himself, he has provided life for you and I. And this morning, what is my hope? My hope is that as we go through this message, you would get glimpse after glimpse after glimpse of the brilliance of that eternal life. 
And then we come to the conclusion of the message. It will become a blinding light of life for each and every one of us. For that is what he has provided. He is the Savior. The Bible says, again, Paul writing to the church at Rome. He says, as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know the story. And if you don't, you might want to read John 3 and discover the story where a fellow by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He was a leader among the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin. I call... (laughs) It's an old thing. It's an old joke, but I always remember him well as the original Nick at night. And it was in that dialogue with Nicodemus that Jesus unfolded the powerful words that many of you have memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Could I say if you have never put your trust in him, today would be a good day to do that because when you believe in Jesus... When you believe in Jesus, I'm not talking mental assent. I'm talking belief down to the core of your being. When you believe in Jesus, he has a great gift of life eternal for you. It is the equivalency. Verse 36 of that same chapter confirms that belief in the Son equals eternal life. Unbelief says you will not see life. This is the great original gift of eternal life given to Adam and Eve in the garden. This is returned by the promise of Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent but his heel should be bruised. The gift is returned. Paul would further admonish that church at Rome that the wages of sin is death. There's more to it. The wages of sin is death. But, I love those heavenly, that but. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to admonish you today, let's quit earning and start reveling in the gift. Let's start enjoying what God freely offers you as a gift for your faith. And let's quit working our own works that ensnare us and bring death into us incrementally a little at a time. There was a day that was full of miracles with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people, I I would like to bend a bird on the wall or I'd even settle for a spider on the wall or among the 12 that were walking with him and and watching all of this happening, seeing the power of God set in order, the corrupt creation that had been bent by sin. Demons had been delivered out of a man, two men, matter of fact, and into swine. Swine ran into the Sea of Galilee off a cliff There were some good friends to a man who was paralyzed and 
They wanted to get him to Jesus, so they took him, and they couldn't get him near the door. The crowd was so great, he was inside the house, and so they climbed on the roof, ripped off the roof. Those are good friends. Unless you own the house, they're ripping the roof off. <laughs> There's always a downside to everything, isn't there? And so they ripped the roof off, and they lowered him down, and Jesus healed the man. And then Jesus gets word that there's a need, and he hears that there's a young girl dying, and he, and he heads for that. And on the way, a woman with an issue of blood reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and is healed instantly. The Bible said she'd spent all of her money and her wealth on doctors, and they could not help her. But one touch from Jesus healed her instantly. And Jesus headed on to a man's house by the name of Jairus. Let's think about Jairus. We know this. He was a ruler of the synagogue. What does that mean? Well, it actually means he was the organizer. We have an order of service here. The way things are supposed to happen. Whenever I see these, and I write them out many times myself, having been a pastor for many years, we're going to do this, this, and this. And I like to make it all seamless. But you know, I'm reminded of the old Baptist one time when they asked him to open the service in prayer. And he held up the bulletin with the order of service. They said, oh God, let something happen today that's not in the bulletin. <laughs> there are some things we really can't write down and guarantee. But it is my prayer today that something will happen that's not on that piece of paper in your hearts and my hearts today. That the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the one who worked with Jesus Christ, will be here today working his miracle working power. Coming into our death and bringing life eternal. He was the organizer. It might have been a rabbi. But most of all, he was the father of a dying daughter. She was 12 years old, too young to die, and every pastor has had the time that you stood in the graveyard with little short caskets. You grieved with grieving parents. These are heartbreaking more than others. And your heart says this is wrong. They were too young to die. An enemy has done this. How often we excuse things as the will of God, but not everything that happens in this world is the will of God. An enemy has done this. Just to decide, it's not in my notes. See, something's happening. It's not in the bulletin. Someday he's going to undo it all. Someday he's going to undo it all. Someday the enemy will be totally gone and put down. And all of his dastardly deeds will exist no more. And only the glory and the presence of the loving God. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord shall fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. But until then, we walk with him. He is the father of a dying daughter. It appears, it appears he's a worshiper of Jesus. I don't know at what level, but I know this. He's not a swine herder. He's not a demon-possessed man that Jesus has to cast out demons that had happened earlier. 
He's not one to sneak up on Jesus in the middle of the night like Nicodemus. Not be, I'm not criticizing Nicodemus. At least he came. Come just as you are at night or boldly frightened or full of confidence however you come, but come to Jesus. This man, I noticed he was open. He was real. He was desperate. His daughter was dying, but we discover that she did die. And Jesus is headed to Jairus' house. Let me tell you this. I don't know how long she was dead. An hour? Two hours? How long did it take Jesus to get there? But it doesn't matter if it was one hour or four days, as it will be in a letter, later reference in this message, or if it's 2,021 years, he can wake the dead. You see, she was dead to this world, but to Jesus, she's simply asleep. I've lost friends in this congregation. And I know we say, well, it's heaven's gain and our loss. Yeah, but I'm still here. And I'm a little put out about the whole thing. But I am comforted to know. Dead one hour, four days, 10 years. Someday the skies will open and the trumpet will sound. And the graves will open. And we shall and they shall live again. The dead in Christ shall rise first, Paul says. Then we which are alive and remain. <laughs> I know. I had a friend who was a godly man and a Presbyterian. He says, that's proof. The Presbyterians will go first. The dead in Christ will go. He said it. I did not. This young lady was 12 years old. Too soon for death. For the sleep of death. Life awaits her ahead. But Jesus pushes past the mourners. Now, in those days, they had paid mourners and they had genuine mourners. They wanted to make sure that everybody knew that she was loved. So they would hire some mourners and they would make a lot of noise mourning. I don't know if this was almost too soon for the paid mourners to be there unless they were on call, standby, and it was their union. I don't know. But Jesus got past the mourners. And he came in, he said, why make this commotion and we? Yeah, to them it's obvious. But listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Oh, hear Jesus. Hear the words of Jesus this morning. As they heard him that day, the child is not dead. What's the matter with you? Can't you see what reality here? The child is not dead but sleeping. Peter, James, John, and the parents were standing where only Jesus could help. And Jesus takes her by the hand. No, she didn't reach up to Jesus. She was dead. Oh, asleep. I'm corrected, Jesus. And he said to her, Talitha kum. Oh, why? That's just what I needed to hear. 
Actually, that is Aramaic. In case you didn't realize it, to get along in society, he would have to, Jesus would have to speak Greek because that was the English of the world in that day. He would have some idea of Latin. That was the ruling empire. He would read and write Hebrew. But the common daily language of the Jews was Aramaic. And what amazes me, two words, Talitha kum. That means, little girl, I say to you, get up. <laughs> I think we should revise English. And so we can say in two words what it takes us seven words to say. She was in the sleep of death. Her ears did not work. Her mouth did not work. Her eyes did not see. But somehow the powerful words of the word of God who was there before the creation of the universe came into every cell and DNA in that body and woke it up and she became alive. Talitha kum. Little girl, get up. Are you beat down? Get up, little girl or man. Get up. Are you in a battle? Is it life and death? It is a battle. When my time comes, I'm going to go out of here fighting. And should Jesus tarry, my time will come. I sort of believe that the Bible puts a 120-year limit on humanity. So I've got quite a ways to go. And after watching them bring flowers to a lady who was celebrating her 100th birthday this morning in the early service, I thought, golly, I'm beginning to feel like the youth department. <laughs> Only God knows how long he has given us, but use every bit of energy you can to worship him and to serve him because it is in him that you have eternal life. She got up. She stood up. She walked. And I don't know if that was the first thing that she said. I'm hungry. But she was hungry and Jesus had great wisdom. Feed her. I have a word from the Lord. Let's eat. Feed her. Now, a day's journey maybe two, away from where this event took place in the village of Nahum. Jesus is moving with his disciples. And he's headed toward a little village that is poverty-stricken. We know it as the village of Nain. And they're celebrating. Can you imagine the disciples what we have seen, what we have experienced, how wonderful, how marvelous this is, the excitement, that little girl came alive, and they're happy, and here comes a gloomy procession coming down the hills, headed for the cemetery. The Bible tells us that these two processions, one sad, one glad, they meet. The somber procession headed to a burial site on the nearby hillside. And you'll find the story in Luke 7. Incidentally, verse 11. The only son of one of Wayne's 
of Nain's widows. She'd lost her husband. Now her son is gone. It was not known then or today as a wealthy village. And her security, financial, was in her husband. When he died, it passed to the oldest son. Now he's gone. She is in dire straits. It is a difficult time. Her only son was gone. Who knew what to say to this widow? Who can console the widow of Nain? But Jesus knew exactly what to say, what to do, and the consolation this widow needed. And Luke 7, 13, when the Lord saw her, the Bible says his heart went out to her. You know God's no respect to a person's in your hard place, in your difficult place, in circumstances that have turned against you, his heart goes out to you and you and you. He is loving. He is compassionate. But listen to what he says. This just does not sound sympathetic. Don't cry. What do you mean? My son's dead. Don't cry. These are what appear to be empty words. There's a leanness of his statement. It says nothing, but it says everything. Only God can do that. And Jesus is about to offer compassion to a young man of uncertain character. We don't know if he was good. We don't know if he was bad. We don't know who he was. We don't know what kind of character he had. We don't know how he died, if he was doing risky things or he became ill. We don't know any of that. All we know is he was dead. That's pretty definable. But Jesus offered compassion to a bereaved single mother and he gave her hope. Jesus offered compassion for a crowd to see and learn about God's love. Now, I've never been where this has happened. Then he went up and touched the coffin. As a matter of fact, I, I like to say that there are a few things in life that I have done more successfully than Jesus. Funerals is one of them. So, if you have me do your funeral, you stay down. And that's not a boast, that's just a fact. Jesus kept ruining funerals. Then he went up and he touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. Now, his mother didn't say, uh, I'm sorry, but he's dead. They're waiting to see what's going to happen. They didn't have long to wait. First, he became dead man sitting. Dead man talking. Dead man walking. He wasn't a dead man anymore. He was alive because he met the giver of life himself, Jesus Christ. He shook off the sleep of death. He rubbed his eyes. He removed the spices. And you know what? Luke records this story. And my question is, Luke, what did he say? Oh, you missed that, huh, Luke? You ever have parts of the Bible say, I know, those, I know those more? It's like Paul said, I knew a man who was caught away to the third heaven. He saw things that it's not lawful to utter. And I go, well, could you give us a hint? 
Come on, Luke, where are the cameras when you need them? And he gave the young man back to his mom, and the response of the group was fear and glorified God. I think that's probably most appropriate. I reminded years ago of one of our Assembly of God missionaries, Sam Sasser, to the Samoan Islands. And Sam knew a Samoan that had come to know God. He was, called, he was uh, like a holy man among the, the Samoans. He really walked with God, knew Jesus. And he said, we were at a funeral. And he, this man comes walking in halfway through the funeral. And he walks down the aisle, goes up to the casket, and commands the dead person to live. And they sat up and got up. He said, you never saw a church empty so fast in your life. They don't have glass on the windows. His people run out the windows. Fear and glorified God. He lived for several more years and won many people to Jesus Christ before he passed away again. Now, there are those who argue that I have given you these two illustrations of resurrections, that these are not resurrections at all, but these are resuscitations because, you see, they came back alive to die again. Isn't it interesting how us Christians can argue about dumb things? They were dead, they're alive. I'm going to call it a resurrection. It's not the resurrection. I'm going to call it a resurrection. You want to call it a whatever. I don't care. But the fact is, it's nothing to argue about. It's something to rejoice God about. It is the compassion of God in the face of death. What we're catching here is little glimpses, little glimpses of almost a blinding light, but it comes so quickly. We don't understand what it's really like on that glad day when every righteous grave shall be opened. But we shall rejoice in what we know. It was filled with fear and glorified God. One more glimpse. There was a good friend. How would you like to be recorded in the Bible as a friend of Jesus? Now, there's one of the disciples that's always called the disciple whom Jesus loved. But of course, he's only called that in the gospel that he wrote. <laughs> you think the other disciples, when he finally got, wrote that, he go, there goes John again. These are humans, folk. We get to see the, well, <laughs> the best and worst of them in the Bible, don't we? So his friend, Lazarus, is ill. World philosophies have no meaningful answers when it comes to death. It's the ultimate recycle. We're dead forever. The heart stops. We're dead and gone. Brain waves no more. And then there are some that say, they explain it this way, that when we die, we leave the body, go back to heaven, and we get in line to come back again. Reincarnated as anything from insects to animal or people kind of depends on their philosophy of how good you did in this, like your karma and all that kind of thing. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that that is not the fact. If it did... If it depended on my good works and my karma, I'd come back as a cricket. (laughs) 
I'd rather do what the Bible says. When I come back, I'm coming back as a son of the Most High God. You're coming back as a daughter of the Most High God. You're coming back and you will be known even as you are also known. The Bible says, I'm coming back. The better part of me would come. It's the revised edition with a better cover and all the tattered and torn of that book of my life is repaired and made well by the author himself, the living God. How about your plans? The world does not have the answer. Or, how about this one? You get reabsorbed into the energy of the universe. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Maybe you have, your faith is in what Hollywood has told us. And when we die, we become angels, and then we have to earn our wings, and we get a name like Clarence. It's a wonderful life. But that's not the answer. Great movie. I'm not being critical. You see, I love fiction. Some people have asked, you know, how can you be such a fan of science fiction? They, they deal with evolution. I love fiction. Lazarus. Four days dead. And this ain't fiction. An answer to prayer is on the way, but it's delayed. Have you ever had the perfect answer of prayer, get there, and you thought it was too late, but afterwards it really, you know, wave at me, you've, uh, you've had that kind of, yeah. Some I just thought they were too late. I just never saw it, but God will straighten it out for me someday. And so, while he is in the process of dying, Lazarus, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples, their response, but Lord, they want to kill you there. So Jesus says, well, walk in the daylight and you won't stumble. And the wisdom of the disciples is, huh? Huh? There's been many times I've had God speak to me clearly and I'm so out of touch with him. I'm just, huh? Bewildered. Don't worry. The huh will also pass. Jesus said, Lazarus is asleep. I need to go wake him up. Look at these brilliant disciples. If he's sleeping, he'll get better. I don't think the Bible supports me saying what I'm going to say next, but I just have to say it. It seems like he should grab them by the ears, look them in the eyes. Now listen close. Lazarus is dead. Oh. Oh. But you said, oh. And then he says, I'm glad. I wasn't there so that you may believe. Now let's go. And of course, Thomas, I love Thomas. He pipes up. Yeah, let's all go and die with him. <laughs> There's a, you know, Christians, we can be so encouraging to one another. Now, I don't know if Thomas is saying, let's go die with Jesus, because they had already said that they were looking to kill him. Or let's go die with Lazarus, who's already dead, but... Doesn't really matter. It can be taken either way. Let's all go and die with him. You know, if you don't have an encouraging word, you might want to be quiet. 
And so they go. And there's a message to be learned by Mary, by Martha, by the crowd, by the disciples. And the, and the message to be learned is part of it, this, 11 John 11, 25 through 26. When Jesus gets there, they said, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Listen to what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives, whoever believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? If you're up to it, would you say it with me right now? Yes, I believe. Oh, come on. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. And then Jesus, the Bible records as a human, he wept. I don't think this is the only time he wept, but this is the one record we have that he wept. I believe he wept over Jerusalem. He wept here for the grief of his friends. Do you understand that grief is a love word? It's a love word. He felt their grief, even though he's in control of life and death. The Bible says that he is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. There may be times for you, like me, when I wished he was touched a little sooner and got busy on it. But nevertheless, he is touched. And in his timetable, he's always on time, even when I think he's late. I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ was not only a prophet, he was more than a prophet. He was greater than a prophet. He is the one that inspires prophet. He was here at the world's beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without his, him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not, could not overcome it. He is the God-man, the complete fulfillment. And there he stood. And I can't pass this by. My first Bible was King James. Most of my scriptures today came from what I call the nearly inspired version, the NIV. I used to tease your pastor one. We worked together years ago about that. Because my preference is the new King James, but then again, I like wearing ruffly feathers around my wrist and funny pants from the 1600s, but not really. But he says, roll the stone away. Are you ready for this? King James. Oh, but now he stinketh. Doesn't that sound holy? We can put the TH on the end. But now he stinketh. I, I don't know what the NIV is. He doesn't smell good, Lord. I, I don't, I'm not sure how it puts it, but that's pretty clear. Now he stinketh. And then the words of Jesus, and I love it. He doesn't just say, come forth. He doesn't say, young man, come forth. 
Because had he did it, all the young men that have ever died would have come forth. That's the power of his word. Calls him by name. Lazarus, come forth. I've been in the tomb that they call Lazarus' tomb. If that is the actual one, it goes down deep into the earth. It's a tunnel down in there. And there are steps coming up, and he's wrapped head and foot. And there he appears in the doorway. He got a free flight, and he didn't get it from American Airlines. All the way from down there up to there. And now take off the grave clothes, unwind him, and set him free. He's more than a healer. Can I remind you as we come to the end of our service today, the, Dan the prophet Daniel looked ahead thousands of years and he said, one like the Son of Man is coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, the Father upon the throne. You see, this is who Jesus is. Jesus, the Son of Man. For three years he taught and loved like no others. He healed. He cleansed the lepers. He calmed the storms. He drove out demons. He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes. He walked on water. He opened blind eyes. He filled nets with fish. And he paid taxes miraculously. I'm kind of asking he might help me with some of that tax payment miraculously. There is no area of life that he did not touch. And then he died like no other. Giving his life, appearing powerless, yet he was all-powerful. We have had three glimpses this morning of powerful resurrections, resuscitations, whatever you may want to call it. The evidence is that the living Lord Jesus is with you today. He will touch you. He will deliver you. He will empower you. He will pour grace into your life. He will set you free from your besetting sin. He will undergird you that you are not destroyed. Though you fall, he will pick you up again and again and again. It was the third hour of the day when they crucified him. And now I hope that we catch more than a glimpse. Let us see the light so brilliantly that we are momentarily blinded to everything else. And we become so touched that we see death as only a sleep, no longer a permanent status. That we hear the words of Jesus when they pressed him and asked him who he was. He didn't say, I'm a stonemason. I'm a carpenter. He said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the Savior of mankind. He even went to the Samaritans, a hated race of that day. I don't know what your ethnic background may be, but uh, I'm Scotch-Irish, French, English, and German. I can have my own world war without leaving the kitchen. But I have a new heritage, and I share it as your brother. I am a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my veins. There's a new DNA that will not stay dead, 
when the time comes. It is attuned to a certain note by a certain trumpet. And when that trumpet sounds, I shall respond to the greatest resurrection of all times, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord, the living God. Let me close with this illustration. There was a war between England and France. General Wellington was the head of the British Army, and they had their last formidable opposition in battle with the French Army, and it was in Belgium across the channel. They waited for news on how the battle was going. From steeple to steeple, they signaled with lights. I know it would have been cheaper to use a satellite and TV, but they didn't have those then. They waited and they waited. The light had started blinking as the fog rolled in and they caught the message, Wellington defeated. Gloom settled over England and the British Isles. How could we have lost this battle? Until the fog began to clear. Folks, is the fog beginning to clear? Jesus was not defeated. Neither was Wellington. Because when they fog lifted, they saw the whole message. Wellington defeated Napoleon. And rejoicing broke out. Maybe the fog has rolled in and you're in the moment of sorrow, but someday the fog will lift. Jesus was not defeated. Church is under persecution even in America today by our political leaders. They don't know we win. They don't know they'll be judged for what they do. For three days in the sleep of death, it appeared that darkness had won. There's an old hymn that says, Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day. For three days, the earth had shook at his death. Little did they know it's going to shake again and a stone would roll away. It would move. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees had a dispute among them. The Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife or the resurrection. They just believed in the moral code. The Pharisees believed in angels, the, life, the afterlife, and the resurrection. Pharisees had their problems, but they had some things right. And that was a constant argument, and that argument was about to be settled forever. The stone rolled away. The guards fell in fear, paralyzed, because the fog had lifted. And death cannot win for you or for me. It is life. It is life. Come on, church, say it with me. It is life. It is life. Let's add what the scripture adds. It is life eternal. It is life eternal. It is life eternal. The dispute is settled and Jesus rose from the grave. <laughs> and these are his words. 
in Luke 24, 39. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Here's my ID. You can see the nail prints. You can see where they were driven through. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. This is a physical, bodily resurrection. Should we die before our times? With faith in Christ, we shall live again. Should we live too long? <laughs> With faith in Christ, we can endure it and enjoy it and rejoice. The fog has lifted. I'm going to ask a question. How many of you here today say, there's been a rough patch in my life, and this morning, in a very special way, the fog has lifted. Would you wave at me? God love you. God love you. All this place. Father, I thank you. The fog has lifted and is lifting. Let the vision become clear. Let the joy of the Lord be their strength. And now, let's take this. I remember many years ago, a man leaving. He'd been a guest at our church on a Sunday morning communion. As he walked out, he was heard saying, I've never seen any place serve such small treats. He doesn't know this is the biggest treat in the world. Well, I want to explain to you it is not the volume here. It is the meaning. And so very carefully, if you know the combination, peel back that top one. First time I did this, I peeled back the wrong one. Everybody's taking the wafer, and I was spilling grape juice all over me. See my hands and my feet, the body of Christ given for you. Because he lives, you shall live for our healing and ultimately our resurrection. Will you remember what Jesus did for you? Not just the death, but he came out of the tomb full of power, full of grace, full of glory. Let us receive the body of Christ. This is one of those weeks I should not have trimmed my fingernails. It may not be complicated, but sometimes it's like an IQ test. <laughs> and I, I don't want to fail. <laughs> the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Shed for our sins. Provided to give a new life for us. A fresh start the goodness of God and the grace of God. We are to do this in a frequency as often as we gather until he comes. 
And on that glad day when he comes, he will open the graves and take us to himself. Life eternal. Life eternal. Life eternal. That's not the preacher's promise. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. Would you partake of his blood? Before we head out the doors, I have a word from the Lord. He dropped it into my heart. Might be more effective if I knew exactly who, but there's someone here, and it could be more than one, I'm sure it could be, but it's, it's very precise. You've been struggling with the call of God on your life, the call to serve him in ministry. I don't know if that means full-time or what, but there are ministries in you've been struggling because you feel you're not qualified and he says this is the time for you to get qualified to study to prepare yourself and say yes to me and I will take you step by step the Lord says and prepare you for the ministry that I have for you do not fight against me for I will graciously lead you step by step hear the word of the Lord now may the Lord bless you and keep you may he make his face to shine upon you May he fill you with inexpressible joy, unspeakable and full of glory. May he undergird every step you take in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Go with God. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word, born again, all one word, to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.